What's up, everyone? Travis here by myself. John is out doing adult things with his family, uh, having a good weekend. So I am recording this by myself on a Monday night. Uh, my kids are asleep, and uh, I wanted to do a little bit of a Q&A and just kind of catch up on how everything's been going for me. And yeah, I asked you guys on Instagram and YouTube uh, for a couple questions, and you guys did not disappoint. You guys gave me some amazing questions. Uh, thank you guys so much for all the help in putting this episode together. And yeah, so without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the first question. All right. And that is, uh, what are the best solo drills a white belt can do at home? So during the pandemic, we actually got to do a lot of solo drills. If you guys didn't start jujitsu before the pandemic, um, we got to experience a lot of ways to get better by yourself. Um, and one of the ways was uh, solo drills. And what was kind of cool was we actually figured out a way to... Um, well, my mic fell. <clears throat> we actually found a way to make like dummies, like jujitsu dummies at home. And my son actually had one upstairs for a while until we needed the pillows <laughs> and then we had to break it apart. Um, but we had to do a lot of cool drills at home. One, one drill that I think is great is just having a pillow. You could use like a bigger pillow from your sofa um, and you can do kind of like around the worlds if you know what that is. So you're like inside control. Uh, then you go like neon belly, go north south. However your school does the around the world, that is a great solo drill for white belts because it teaches you the different positions and lets you transition a lot better and a lot smoother. Um, so I think that is a very great white belt. Um, drill to be doing. Another thing you can do is you can use your belt to work on like your lasso and spider guard. So what you'll do is you'll have one in the rope in each hand, <clears throat> put your feet in it, and then take one foot out, wrap it like you are. If you guys are watching the video, I'm like selling my feet pics. Um, <laughs> put your wrapping around it, right? Like a lasso and then tightening it uh, across your feet like you're in a lasso, then unlasso, do it the other side. And then also working on your spider guard, you know, having one knee bent, one leg extended and switching back and forth. And that, that works a lot uh, and helps out quite a bit. But uh, one thing that I think is extremely underrated and Dr. Toby kind of talked about this on his episode, was visualization. So one way that you can drill at home is you can visualize scenarios in your head and how you would execute them. So you could say, all right, well, we're starting on our feet. You know, close your eyes and kind of imagine how you would take someone down or how you would pull guard and how you would expect them to react and how you would react. So you kind of just go through a whole role in your head, visualizing visualizing what's going on. I think that is extremely underrated, and the more you can think about what you would do in a situation, the more likely you are to, in my opinion, the more likely you are to actually execute that during a role. So just thinking of scenarios, one that you probably have been caught in, right? Say someone's been smashing shoulder into your face and side control. Uh, someone's been, you know, crushing you in mount. All these things you can you can focus and visualize on when uh, 
when you do these visualizations for your solo drills. So those are extremely, extremely uh, useful. And I think people should actually do them more. Uh, you even like reflecting after class, <clears throat> you could you could reflect after class and on your drive home, think about what position you were stuck in or what happened during a roll and visualize how you should have reacted and how you did react. And then, you know, seeing where you could have improved in, in that one position. I think that's a great, great solo drill for people. Um, and is extremely underutilized, including myself. I'm better at it now, but I, I was um, I was not very good at it when I first started. So I'm going to take a drink. Question number two. Let's see here. Um, what microphone would you recommend on a budget? Asking for a friend. <laughs> so a microphone that I would recommend, uh, I take it because it's coming from a fellow podcaster. You want to use it for podcasting. So... Um, there's a couple different options that you could have, and I could list down below a couple of them. Uh, these are XLR microphones, and in order for you to use an XLR microphone when you're podcasting, you need to have like an audio interface, which uh, we have the PodTrack P4. Um, I'm showing it in the video right now if you guys are watching. So that's our audio interface. Why is my camera doing that? Uh, that's our audio interface. So if you guys haven't ever uh, used... Uh, podcasting equipment before it's a great tool um but if you want to just use an xlr micro or a usb microphone a good one is a samson q uh q2u uh they have the audio technica at2020 and i'll have a link for these in the description below if you guys want to buy them um and support the podcast there'll be affiliate amazon links so if you guys want to use and get a new microphone if you just want to use it for like say you get interviewed by people it's another great option to to do um <clears throat> so the samson q2u the uh audio technica at2020 is another fantastic one and then if you're looking for you know you have a little bit more of a budget then you can go with like the uh, Rode MV7, which is an XLR and USB microphone. So if you plan on upgrading in the future, you can keep the same microphone and just buy an audio interface, which is which was very nice. Um, so those are those are three of them that are great. And then if your budget goes up from there, then you can you know let me know and I can give you a couple more options. But the the Samsung Q2U is I think is, sounds great. Um, and then also the Audio Technica sounds great. Also, they're both dynamic microphones too. If you know what that means, it means like this one. I talk straight into it, and it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, the the pickup pattern is more directional. That looked really bad. Um, <laughs> so there goes a couple options. If you guys want, like I said, they'll be in the description below. Uh, if you guys want to support the channel. All right. Next question. What is your favorite submission? My favorite submission, probably because I'm a little bit of a bigger guy is Kimoras. I love Kimoras. Um, but right now I've really been focusing on the knee bar. I've been doing a lot of knee bars from uh, half guard or, when someone like sweeps me or something like that, when they come up, I like to go for a knee bar while they're trying to like pass my guard or something like that, hook the leg underneath and then roll over on my shoulder and go for a knee bar. Those are a lot of fun right now, but Kimuras are super fun. I love Kimuras. Um, and then also for a while I was doing like North South chokes, but I'm not very good at them now. So they're one of those things where it's kind of a hit or miss. 
<laughs> unfortunately. Uh, sometimes you get them and sometimes you don't. They're really hard to finish, but there was a little bit of a point there where I was hitting them quite a bit. Oh, those and Darces. I used to I used to be a darts machine, not not so much anymore. Um probably because uh, people knew that know that they're coming now. Before they didn't know it was coming, but now they know it's coming. <laughs> so uh, Darces used to be a whole lot of fun, but not not. I haven't got one of those in a while because people people see them coming. Um, I get them every once in a while, but nothing feels better than finishing a good Darce, man. Let me tell you, I love love finishing those. Um, but yeah, let's see. Next question. What position do you hate being stuck in the most? Ooh, man, that's a good one. Um, I hate when people are on my back. I am terrible at people getting off my back, and I always, if you get my back, it's like a 99% sure chance you're probably going to submit me if you're, you know, equal skill or a little bit better. Um, you're you're going to, you're going to, for people who are going to roll with me in the future, it's, it's uh, almost a guarantee that you're going to, you're going to finish me if you get my back, unfortunately. Uh, it's just one of those positions that I, I'm just not very good at. Uh, I'm trying to get better, but it's, it's not really working for me right now. <laughs> um, but my, my, but, but the back is definitely the worst. I get like, people get like triangles on me when they, when they take my back. I freaking hate it, dude. Uh, it's just something that I need to work on, and and one day, one day I'll, I'll I'll get better at it. Next question: How serious are you about competing this year on a scale of one to ten? That's a super great question because uh, I feel like I'm more serious than I probably am, to be honest. Like I do really want to compete, but uh, I still have those reservations about competing. And, you know, I get a little worried still about competing, but uh, I have been looking at competitions in my area. I have been looking at what would uh, a, a practical time frame be for me to be ready to compete. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm fairly serious on a scale of one to 10, though. I'd probably say seven. I'll probably say seven. I, I I I know I should compete, and not not necessarily just because it's a good experience, but I think it offers a lot of value for you guys listening. If I were to compete, because I feel like it gives me another perspective on uh, the jujitsu journey that I can offer people. If I never experienced that, then it's really hard for people to listen to what I have to say. I guess you could say, and it's it might be a little bit more difficult for me to compete. Uh, connect with the people out there that do compete or they do want to compete and they're looking for, you know, my point of view on the whole situation. Uh, not saying there's very many of you out there, but there might be one or two. And so I would still like to be able to connect with that person and give my two cents on how it went for me. And the only way I can do that is by actually competing. So uh, I know I need to do it. Um, not only for myself, but for you guys listening at home too, because it's just it's just going to help with the podcast. It's going to help with our audience. It's going to just help you know me build my confidence with my jujitsu as well. So, next question though: When did you cross the line between thinking BJJ looked cool to actually deciding to do it yourself? So, I would have to say that was when. Cody opened up the school is really when I was like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, I had, like I mentioned before, 
when our earlier episodes that I did wrestle in high school for a single semester. I wasn't like a like a high level wrestler. It was just one semester, um, and so I wrestled for a freshman year in high school, and I always enjoyed grappling. I always enjoyed you know wrestling and whatnot. So. Cody and a couple of us at our old, old gym, <clears throat> one night we were all working out and we decided to go uh, upstairs in the gymnastics area and decided to wrestle around and whatnot. And I wasn't like super comfortable. Um, and I was still like kind of timid about wrestling with other people. It was like mainly because I just didn't want to get my ass kicked. Um but when we went up there, I wrestled a little bit, and so I always had, like, this urge to continue in that. And I didn't do any martial arts growing up or anything like that besides, like I mentioned, that one semester of wrestling. So I didn't really understand exactly how things went. So once Cody uh, mentioned that <clears throat> he's going to fly his his first black belt down and he's going to teach a seminar and we're going to have a jiu-jitsu school— um, I instantly was like, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's, let, I'm going to sign up for this. Uh, I'm going to, you know, start jujitsu and never at any point during my jujitsu journey did my goal from day one start. Uh, the second he mentioned that I want, that he was starting a jujitsu academy, I knew I wanted to be in it for the long haul. I knew I wanted to do it, uh, as long as I possibly could, um, I never necessarily wanted to quit in my journey. I've definitely wanted to take some breaks, um, but I'm very serious about doing jujitsu. I'm very serious about doing this podcast about jujitsu. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in jujitsu, not only physically and mentally, but like um, it's a great way to connect with people. So when he opened the academy, I was like, yep, this is it. And I haven't turned back. It's been a whole lot of fun. Uh, I still feel like I'm relatively serious about jujitsu. Nowhere near as serious as I was as a white belt until you know getting my blue belt. <laughs> once you know, once you get that blue belt, then it's kind of like it's like all right, here we go. Now, now I can rest and relax. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that that's when I first when I first got serious about it. Excuse me. Next question: What's important concepts and theories you've learned from white belt to blue belt that excelled you? <clears throat> This was a, a great question, and I kind of cheated a little bit and read it before I uh, started recording, and it had me thinking, like, what did I think as a white belt that made me excel as a white belt? Um, and it would probably have to be, like, your journey um, is your journey, and I mean that in a sense of... Your journey is your journey by uh, don't compare yourself to other people because the way you're going to progress is going to be different than others, right? Um, I didn't necessarily have that point of view, hindsight 2020. Uh, I didn't have that necessarily that point of view. I was kind of a jealous person. Like if I saw someone that had less stripes than me get promoted to a blue belt or I felt like they weren't necessarily as good as me and they got promoted to blue belt. Uh, that, you know, I did get a little jealous of that because I felt like I was putting in so much freaking work to get my blue belt. But so your journey is your own journey in the sense of like, you know, focus on you, do what's best for you. Um, don't, don't get distracted by, you know, other people, you know, focus on what you need to, to improve your jujitsu. Uh, and the second part of that is it's your journey in a sense of, 
yes, your instructor is going to teach you what they want to learn, but it's not going to be up to anyone else besides you to excel, to do what you think or what you want to do with your journey, right? If you if if you only rely on what your instructor is teaching you, then I feel like you're going to miss out a lot on opportunities to grow and expand. Now, the other side of that, you know, John and I often talk about not going down the rabbit hole of techniques and not going down the rabbit hole of you know, exploring these exotic endeavors through social media or YouTube or, you know, instructionals and whatnot when you first start. Now, I think at a certain point, those things are great. Gets, you know, a six months, a year into your jujitsu journey, and you're really hungry for something that you found during your journey that you kind of want to uh, navigate more, uh, explore a little bit more, then I think going down that rabbit hole is great. But, you know, if you're within like your first six months, I don't really necessarily think you should be researching techniques or these more advanced things until you have a little bit more of a firm understanding of jujitsu. Even six months might be early for some people. It's really based on, you know, you as a person, which kind of goes back to the, you know, the first part, like your journey is your journey. Um, so kind of listen to yourself and be honest with yourself. Don't think because uh, someone else is getting, you know, techniques and things faster than you, that means you're you're behind them or you're less of a white belt or less of a blue belt than them. Just know that, you know, some people are going to get it faster. You know, John and I got our blue belts in 18 months. I feel like that was, you know, relatively quick. Most people get it in two years. <clears throat> so it might be a little bit faster than most people. Uh, I mean, I have some friends that have been training with me since me and John since day one, and they're still white belts. Uh, one of our good friends just got his blue belt and he had been training for four years, three, four years. So, uh, and he was, and he, you know, he's really good. So I'm, ha I'm happy he finally got his blue belt. But, you know, the, it's, it's one of those things where if you could hear, if I could hear it and actually take it seriously as a white belt, you know, your journey is your journey in those two aspects. I honestly think uh, things might have been a little bit different. I don't know. Um, it's definitely kind of cool to think about now because, how how different or how much sooner or how much slower would I have progressed um, if I wasn't, you know, kind of a jealous person when it came to promotion and stuff like that? If I'm being honest with you, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but, you know, it's just it's something to think about because, you know, everyone everyone's different. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm rambling on that one now. But, yeah, your journey is your journey in those two aspects. <laughs> Today's episode of Elbows Tight Podcast is brought to you by The Amino Code. John. Go ahead and tell the listeners at home a little bit about AminoCo. So I'm using Heal. Uh, it's to help with recovery. It's 100% science-backed. What I like about it is it triggers lean muscle growth and repair four times more efficiently than any other protein source. It reduces muscle atrophy and improves physical function after surgery. It helps maintain a healthy inflammatory response by acting mTOR. Um, I highly recommend everyone go to AminoCo, look it up online, check out the science-backed details. It's all there. So far, I really like it. It tastes great. It mixes easy. And uh, I'm looking forward to using it for a couple months. If you guys want to check out Heal and check out the science, go to aminoco.com slash elbows tight. Once again, that is 
aminocode.com slash elbows tight and use code elbows tight at checkout for 30% off. Every new purchase does get a free gift as well. Thank you, Amino Co. for sponsoring this episode. Uh, next one is, when is the Tom Hardy episode? Oh, good question. If you guys don't know, um, our dream episode, well, kind of my dream episode, like my my holy grail of episodes is, is to get Tom Hardy on. Uh, there's a couple people that we have interviewed that know him. I don't know if they would be able to connect me with him or if Tom Hardy would ever even be interested in doing an episode. But Tom Hardy, if you happen to be listening to this, we would love to have you on. Uh, I, I think... I think it's cool when celebrities train jujitsu. You know, there's a there's this whole stigma out there. Like Demi Lovato just got her purple belt, and you know, the internet was real mad because they they're like, oh, she's not a real purple belt. You know, they're just hand, it's like a belt factory. Same thing happened when Ashton Kutcher got his brown belt. You know, people were like, oh man, what is he doing? And then there was the video of Craig Jones. If you guys don't know, there was a video of Craig Jones rolling with Ashton Kutcher, and you know, obviously there's gonna be. A, a big difference between Ashton Kutcher, who is a hundred percent hobbyist, who probably primarily does privates, you know, uh, versus Craig Jones, who's you know a world class athlete, like literally the second best at everything he does in jujitsu. <laughs> but there's a big difference between Craig Jones and Ashton Kutcher. It's like. If I were to get my brown belt and I were to roll with Craig Jones, I probably would look just about the same as Ashton Kutcher did during this role. Um, there's, I don't see anything. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with if someone does privates, primarily privates or 100% privates, and they get promoted through privates. Like I don't, I don't see the issue with that. I don't think celebrities necessarily want to take the risk of going to a a, t- a class. Not all celebrities. I know Tom Hardy typically does. Does like actual classes and stuff like that, but not every celebrity out there wants to go, you know, be in a class with a bunch of, you know, random people, someone that might have a grudge against him for a movie he did or something he might have said on Twitter, and then during the role, boom, you know, does something. So I don't see anything issue with it. Um, but if Tom Hardy ever did want to do the podcast, uh, I would. I would do any time that, that he asked. I would be in here at 1 a.m. by myself if I have to. If Tom Hardy was like, yeah, yeah, mate, I'll do it. That's my horrible Tom Hardy accent. But uh, And also, if you guys are listening at home and you can connect me with him, by all means, please. I think they would be great. <laughs> I would forever be in your debt, to tell you the truth. That would be so much freaking fun. But, all right, next one. I don't want to keep talking about that. <laughs> How many takes does it take to do the Manscaped ads? Now, if you're talking about the actual Manscaped ads on the podcast. So when we first got sponsored by Manscaped, uh, by the way, we're coming up on one year sponsored by them. It's crazy to think about. I never thought in a million years we would even be sponsored by Manscaped. Um, But when we first started, everything you see uh, with our ad reads, you know, in mid-interview... Uh, they that was a hundred percent the first take. We started to do pre-recorded ads because I felt like it kind of broke up the conversation a little bit, and sometimes it would be hard to get back into the the swing of things to uh, after an ad read. So John and I started to 
do the ad reads before and then I would edit them down and everything like that. Uh, but when we first started, this this podcast typically has very little editing to it in a sense of like chopping sections out or cutting sections up. Typically, there's like a two to three minutes bef- when I press record where I'm just making sure everything is running, making sure that the guest is comfortable, and then we, we go start the conversation from there. And then there's not really any editing um, in the episode. The flow of it is 100% natural, however it comes. The long, awkward pauses, sometimes I keep them in there because I forget. And then I'm like, oh, man, I should have edited that out. But the Manscaped ads now, when we do the pre-recorded, it's usually about maybe two or three takes to to do them. The <laughs> Our Manscaped like uh, Instagram posts and reels and stuff like that, John and I, when we first did those, when we, when, when Manscaped first picked us up, there were like maybe three, four takes to doing it. And it was more along the lines of like just because John and I were just recording it ourselves. So we would record a take and then uh, we would look back on it on my phone like, oh, man, we're not like actually in frame. I got to we have to redo this because we're not in frame like we should be. Uh, so that was that was a, a hassle. But now it's it's, you know, they send us the the copy for the month and then we we record uh, our ads, and we just I just insert them into the podcast when uh, when I'm editing them, and it makes it a whole lot easier. And also, I kind of felt like I don't really necessarily want to put every guest through a, a manscaped ad. Maybe they're they're they don't support the company, or I don't know, like they don't feel comfortable with us talking about balls in front of them, or whatever. So I figured it would be much safer for us just to not do it and just pre pre uh, record everything, if that makes sense. So let's see here. What's the beverage of the day? Ooh, well, it's a little bit into my fasting time, so I'm just gonna have to eat later tomorrow. But I'm right now. I'm drinking a a protein shake. And it is the, like you saw, if you guys follow us on Instagram, I posted a reel of my jujitsu recovery shake. Right now, it's just the end of the day, and I just wanted a protein shake because I felt like I was kind of low on protein. But it is one scoop of chocolate protein, uh, one scoop of chocolate greens, and then 12 and a half grams of my amino heel, which is great for recovery. Uh, you know, it's EAAs. Uh, central amino acids and if you guys want to check them out all that stuff is going to be down in the description below uh but this is typically my protein shake i drink this post jujitsu and and just throughout the day to to make sure i get a little bit more protein micronutrients in and whatnot and it tastes really good um it tastes it probably would taste better if i didn't put the greens in there look let's be honest guys who's gonna make a non-chalky greens powder I don't eat enough greens, okay? And I'm getting I'm getting serious here. That's why I kind of started talking a little bit softer. <laughs> um, I don't eat enough greens, so I do have to take, you know, I, I take a green supplement. But every single one of them tastes horrible to me. I don't know who, it's like protein powder in the early 2000s. Horrible, you know? None of them taste good. When can we get some delicious tasting greens? I mean, granted, they taste a lot better than they did, I'm sure, but they're still not good. This protein shake would probably taste a million times better if I didn't put the freaking greens in there. 
not only that, but the I used oat milk too. So uh, just because like dairy actual milk kind of messes my stomach up because I don't necessarily drink it all the time. But that's my beverage of the day. Before this, I had a coffee when I was it was probably around two o'clock. I had a I had a coffee, and it was delicious. It was from Starbucks. It was the oat milk shake and espresso. Probably one of my favorite things ever. To tell you the truth, uh, I can't complain about it. It was it was really good, and I'll probably be wired until you know eight or nine tonight before I go to bed. <clears throat> and then last question from people on Instagram was. How would you recommend starting off podcasting? I often actually get asked this. Uh, I'm very open about all the lessons that I've that John and I have learned during our time as podcasters. Some of the things are good. Some of the things, you know, are not so good because tr- lots of lots of trial and error. And. If you're just starting off on podcasting, I, the the biggest thing I tell people when they ask me is I I I want you to know who exactly you want to talk to, because if you have an I exactly the idea of who you want to talk to, whether it's I don't know, eighteen uh, year old kids that just graduated high school and looking for their first job, or if it's a jujitsu white belts, you know, within two years of their journey looking to get their blue belt <clears throat> or it's middle-aged dads with three kids and you know a full-time job like whatever your audience is that you want to talk to know that from the get-go because it's going to help you curate your message better to that person if you just one one problem i often see when people want to start podcasting is they want to do like a joe rogan kind of thing and they just want to have people on and talk to them uh the issue with that is Joe Rogan is successful at that because it was Joe Rogan. It's he's Joe Rogan, right? Uh, Lex Friedman is successful at that because it's Lex Friedman, right? Um, Andrew Huberman is good at that because it's Andrew Huberman. Even well, even Andrew Huberman, he has you know a very targeted audience that he's he's looking to talk to. Um, but you, if you're starting a podcast, uh, you need to kind of niche down. I don't really want to say niche down this. I hate that thing. But know the target audience you want to talk to and what you want to talk about to them. Um, you know, that's that's probably the biggest thing. And then also another big thing that I see people do wrong when they first start podcasts is they don't put enough effort into the sound of their podcast. Um, they'll have they'll be in their kitchen uh super echoey or they'll be in a public area you know lots of background noise they'll have uh they'll use like just like a, a not so good microphone and <clears throat> that's good that's okay when you first start off but you you should invest into a better sounding microphone especially cuz they're so cheap now like there's like some out there that are like 20, 30 bucks. They're not the best sounding. They sound a little nasally, but they're they they're better than nothing. <clears throat> so those are or they'll use their AirPod Pros. Lately, people have been using those and it hasn't been sounding very good to me. So um though that's one thing. And then also don't overthink it. Just press record and start your podcast. Like people people overthink things. They they think that they have to be uh, 
you know, super high production value and and they have to have all the fanciest gear and you know and whatnot. But no, just just press record, start producing your content, and then every episode has something that you want to focus on and get better at that like one percent every episode. We're going this is what episode eighty one. So we've done eighty one episodes and every episode I'm trying to do something better, whether it's the audio, whether it's uh making it look better, whether it's marketing, whether it's, you know, trying to get people to follow us on Instagram, where I'm every episode, I'm trying to get better at something for podcasting. And you, if you think about all the things that you need to get good at before podcasting, then you're never going to podcast. Just press record, start recording, and, you know, think about who you want to talk to, you know, have good sounding audio. You can have a crappy microphone and still have good sounding audio. Um, and then just press record and, and, and start going because otherwise you're, if you, if you're always worried about everything when it comes to podcasting, then you're never going to podcast. You just got to do it. John and I ever thought we would actually do a podcast, let alone have a, a, a decently successful podcast. So, um, you just got to do it. <laughs> and then on YouTube, I, I posted on our YouTube page, asked if anyone had any questions for us. And then we got one on there, uh, favorite beer, snack, and movie to watch. <clears throat> so my favorite beer is probably <clears throat> Elysian uh, Men's Room. It's a uh, red amber, I think it is. That one's delicious. Delicious. Uh, Silver City Rich Top Red, another red, amber, delicious beer. Uh, those are probably my two favorite beers to drink. Right now I have Blue Moon in the refrigerator. Sometimes I just want something smooth and it's just going to be easy to drink. You know, John and I had this IPA kick for a while and then kind of died down on IPAs. Uh, once again, like, you know, it's like when you're a kid, you don't really like coffee, then you start developing the flavor for coffee or the taste for coffee, or you don't like beer, and then you start liking beer, or you go through this whole, like, Jägerbomb phase, or, you know, whatever it is, you know, your my, my palate has changed, even since we just started this podcast. A lot of times when we first started the podcast, I'm pretty sure if you guys listen, our beverage of the day a lot of the time was was an IPA. Um not so much anymore. Also, I've, I, it's so funny when people listen to our first episodes and I'm like, man, you guys were drunk. Like, yes, yes, we had a, a lot of drunken nights in, <laughs> in those friggin' first couple episodes. It was, it was a lot of fun. I need to go back and listen to them. I haven't listened to those episodes in a while. Uh, favorite snack? <sighs> man, what would my favorite snack be? I don't know, man. I kind of, I'm not a big sweets guy. Um, I like chips. Chips are pretty good. The problem is with snacks is they're snacks, right? Like I got a lot of uh, calories that I don't I probably necessarily don't need from snacking. Uh, my favorite candy though is is Swedish Fish. If you guys like Swedish Fish, those are those are my jam. I love Swedish Fish. The only problem is they get like stuck in your teeth, and then I feel like if I don't brush my teeth good enough, then freaking I'm gonna get cavities more than I already do, and I don't want that, and I don't think anyone wants that. Uh, but they, those are my favorite candies, favorite snacks, though probably just chips or something like that, something something easy to pick at. Favorite movie to watch? My favorite movie of all time is probably Toy Story, the first one. Um, but I also like Blood In, Blood Out. Uh, if you guys haven't watched that movie, it's a great, great, great movie. Um, I like action movies, like most people. Huge comedy fan, too, though. 
like I like uh, Ace Ventura. Jim Carrey was is one of my favorite actors, one of my favorite comedians. Um, what else do I really like watching? TV show wise, my wife and I are watching like The Last of Us right now. Great show. Uh, we're watching 1923. We're watching. We watch like. All right, guys. I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, right now, we're watching the the Netflix like dating series of like you know Love Is Blind. Um, I forgot which one we're watching now. It's like one of the new ones. Any of them that Nick Lachey posts or is like the host in, we watch all of them. They're like a guilty pleasure. Uh, don't judge me for that. But we're watching those right now. They're those are really good. Um, favorite, but if I could only pick one movie, I don't know, man, that's a tough one. Maybe blood in blood out. That movie's so good. Like it, it's so good. <laughs> so, but those, those, those are the answers to that. Uh, and I think that's pretty much it. One of the things that I, I posted today also was, uh, how do you help your training partners? And I thought these were some, some pretty good answers. There's a couple funny ones in there. Uh, one way someone helps their training partners is tell them where they did good after a roll, nice move, nice sweep, etc. I like to do that too. I like to tell people like, hey, you know, solid shoulder pressure, especially if I roll with them and they start progressing. I always try to tell them, you know, like, hey, you did something good, great defense. Uh, I try to be specific so they they know like, hey, that that one thing is working for you, so keep doing that. Or I try to give them something they can work on a little bit better. Um, just it kind of it kind of helps them quite a bit. Uh, someone else said, I listened to their questions. You didn't say you answered them, so listening is one thing, but answering them if you can. Now this person is also a blue belt, so I can understand why sometimes you might not want to answer their questions as a fellow blue belt. <clears throat> there's a fine line between helping someone, right, understand the technique and then coaching someone when you're not supposed to. If if I'm helping a newer practitioner during technique and they're like, hey, does that feel right? I would say, hey, maybe you should try this or let's move it over here, maybe put pressure here and see if that works. So that's kind of helping them through the movement and that's different than coaching. Uh, I feel like coaching is like telling someone exactly what they should be doing in a technique. And I'm, I'm not really necessarily good at that. And I don't think that's necessarily cool. If someone's asking me like a specific question where I feel like I would be encroaching on the uh, authority of who's ever teaching the class, I almost always tell them to come over and say, hey, uh, this person has a question. Can you tell them what they're doing wrong? And, you know, I'll, I'll let them run through it and then have the coach look at them. Uh, but if it's like small, minor things to where they might be able to, uh, get better at the move by me just, you know, like, hey, put a little bit more pressure here or grab my sleeve here, then then I do that also. <clears throat> by creating an, in, oh, someone else said, by creating an inviting environment so we all feel comfortable. <laughs> That's super important. How awkward is it to go into a class where no one says hi to you or no one gives you the time of day or no one wants to be your partner because they don't know who you are? Uh, that could be very a very big turnoff for a lot of people. So if you're doing that in your gym, maybe you should stop. Uh, so I know I'm not the best about it and I know I'm working on it, but uh, you should, guys should definitely think about that. If you see a new person, a new white belt, or someone that obviously doesn't have as much experience as you, uh, then 
you know, help them out, say what's up, invite them over. You know, we get kind of clicky, even in our school sometimes, there'll be like three of us, you know, close friends talking when, you, and then you'll have like the random brand new person sitting off in the corner, not knowing what the hell is going on. It's really, it, it makes, you know, it might make them feel really awkward and it could uh, be a detriment to their journey and, and it ending too soon. So just think about that. Uh, showing up and giving them my all, that's, that's super good. Um, no one wants to be partners with someone that's not necessarily trying to say they had a hard day and, you know, they're kind of just being laxic a day as a cold during practice and, and they're not necessarily trying their hardest during technique. That could, that could honestly, you know, make people not want to train and not want to come because they feel like, you know, they're not important enough for someone to give them the effort, you know, so that's that's very important. Pretending to let them beat me. When in reality, they are definitely beating me. That one made me laugh. Yeah, de- definitely. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, at the end of the role, you're like, man, that was I, that was good. That was good, man. That was a good role. But in your mind, you're like, you just beat the crap out of me. <laughs> it's one of those things, right? So, but hey, guys, uh, th- those are the questions and comments that I, I've gotten. This was a lot of fun. I definitely want to do this more often. Maybe John and I could do this like once a month where we could just do a Q&A uh, and see what you guys have questions for. Uh, there was definitely some in there that, you know, uh, I had to think about, and that was a whole lot of fun. So thank you guys for all that. Also, shout out to Chris. He sent us a patch. Um, super cool. Gave us a nice letter. I keep forgetting to shout him out. Uh, I did send your patch. It's already in the mail, so I know you watch on YouTube. So thank you for the patch, and yours is on your way. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening and watching at home. And remember... No oil checks here. Boss. Thanks, guys. Peace.